This is VC Projects Podcast, and today my guest is Shane Gafog, who is an American artist who looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations both past and present, and views time as threads that connect all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by the spiritualism of abstraction and the realism of the old masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gifog fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century. Shane, thank you so much for joining me um, today for, um, I'm not going to say yet another episode, but um, you're sort of my my star. (laughs) Good morning. uh, And we do a lot together. So, we do a lot together, yes. So we... Constantly working. Yeah, we have a lot. It's like turning over rocks or something like that. Um, it's, a, it's a very nice working relationship. Um, art and ideas and philosophy and questions. And you're just a very inspiring person. Well, thank you. And don't forget the sushi dinners. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for the sushi dinner last mm-hmm. night. It's delicious. Um, but... Today, we're, we, uh, this brings me to talk about our current exhibition that we're going to open up this week, or rather next week, September 9th. It's a Friday. It's located in Los Angeles in Western Avenue um, at El Nido, and, uh, which is my space. And we are doing a collaboration with Viram. Um, Inter- Ramen Interiors. Right. Yep. Yep. And they're antique dealers, um, 17th, 18th, 19th century um, paintings, uh, furniture, objects, objects yeah. um, all kinds of really unusual and fascinating items. And this was an exhibition. It's called um, The Past as Future is Present Conversations Through Time. A very Gafogian. Very Gafogian thing to come up with. It just when we were talking about <clears throat> how do we mix and match my work with these antiques and these objects and these different things. And it's not just antiques from Europe. He's got things from all over the world. Um, so how does this all blend together? And I realized that, well, we're talking about the past. We're talking about the future. And here we are in the present. And so it's really a conversation through time that we're having and it's like these objects are embedded with time mm-hmm. they have a past they have a future but we are with them in the now mm-hmm. um, and that is always fascinating to me and I've always been really inspired by antiquities and different cult- antiquities from different cultures there's certain lines and shapes and movements in these objects that I find to be so beautiful and they are mimicking in a way or translating, I think is a better word, nature. Hmm. And it's this translation that I'm always interested in with my work. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm translating nature, I'm translating the energy of the city, I'm translating my own emotions depending on what's happening in my private my personal life and so all this filters through my work so I just become this this medium of sorts right as mm-hmm. you said yesterday that uh, as we were hanging this show I'm saying this to the audience so we started two days ago in your space mm-hmm. and we had all this work artwork from paintings, paintings objects, and, sculptures. And objects and sculptures and where do you begin? Where do you, where do you start to hang an exhibition of which you have no roadmap, of something you've never done before? And the works were delivered Monday, I think? Friday. Last Friday? Mm-hmm. Okay, last Friday. I came into town Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, when I hang an exhibition, I like to pick one spot on the wall one painting that is going to be the anchor on that wall. And then I see that one painting is a word. Mm -hmm. Now the next painting is a second word. Mm -hmm. And the next painting next to that is the third word. So we begin to build a sentence, Mm -hmm. right? So what we're trying to do is communicate. 
So instead of using, act, using actual words, we're using images, we're using shapes, we're using colors to translate space and time, mm -hmm. to translate history, to translate the human experience. Mm -hmm. But let me remind the listener that what we got a delivery of was antiquities. Mm -hmm. We didn't get a delivery of specified paintings by Shanga Fogg. So we had a bit of a little uh, battle in the beginning. Because, <laughs> yes, we did. Because you said, um, well, you said previously, um, you know, pick out some paintings that you want to use. So I picked out some paintings that I wanted to use. Paintings of mine. Yeah, paintings of Shane's yeah. that I wanted to use. And, um, and I had some ideas, but I, I and we talked to uh, Alex, who's from the Antiquities, and said, you know, with this idea that you have, what do you envision each room? There's two rooms, and he had, he had a concept. So I wanted to keep that in mind. I also wanted to keep in mind the color palette for each room, even though there, there's always wiggle room, and you know, we can always reject that idea for sure. But um, there was one painting in particular that I wanted that was very bright, and I didn't know if it was just uh, too loud of a word, you know, for for our sentence. And so you were like, "Well, we have to just begin. So we'll let's just do it. Yeah. Just so go for it. Let's hang it." Yeah. And then you said it's too low, and I said it can be adjusted. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. just begin. Right, right. Don't don't try to finish the sentence before you've even said one word. Right, right. So this was a, a It was a, a little tug of war that we had, but that's okay. Well it's 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 a it's just ground rules because we're playing a new <laughs> game. And in the past, again, I wanna remind everybody, uh, we build exhibitions and collections, you know, um, for Shane and I for since two thousand fourteen. Normally when he's invited to a museum or a gallery, we select the paintings, we work with the curator and the director of the museum, and, and we make a maquette, and we lay it all out, and Correct. we know. Correct. And this was completely different, and I said, I've never done an exhibition like this before. I've never worked on anything quite like this before, and, and I, I, I invite it, but I had to get used to it. I had to understand the rules. It's, it's daunting, because how do you combine two or three hundred years worth of images to make a cohesive sentence, to make sense out of our present day state of mind. Yeah, and I, I really didn't want it to be boring. I didn't want it to be like um, traditional or mm -hmm. typical or in, in fact, I didn't even want it to be pleasant in a way. I wanted it to be provocative. I wanted it to be an enigma of sorts, a puzzle that the observer, the guest could can decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that's irresponsible. I think that's space and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's, um, you know, it's, and it's a challenge. And as you witnessed with me over the last two days, I'm in there. I don't say much. I'm just in the moment. And I'm not, and I, I, I had a feeling you were thinking to yourself, he's not saying anything. He's just standing there. He's just staring at a wall. What is he thinking? I didn't think that. I, I know better than to ever have a thought like that. Okay. No, well, I because just because I wasn't thinking anything. No, I, I wasn't either. What I was trying to do was to to rid myself of any thoughts mm -hmm. and be in the moment and that moment and see what would come to me intuitively. Mm -hmm. And without, <clears throat> I didn't want to over intellectualize anything. Um, and that allows for suddenly you start seeing connections to things mm -hmm. that you may not have thought of. It's like if if you if somebody were to come up to you and say, in a year from now, this is what you're going to be doing, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's not possible. That's not where I am in my life right now, so I don't believe you. And so therefore you're you're adhering to what you know 
of your life now. And if you, if you hold on to that too tight, you don't allow for other things to come into your life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with curating the show. You mm -hmm. can't hold on to any ideas. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like I mentioned, there was a few highlights that I wanted. I wanted to incorporate some concepts of uh, um, change operations, some fluxus ideas of works that you've created, actually. And also bring in some more um, modernist sort of work. Um, I, I wanted it to be contemplative. So I wanted to just do that. But again, you know, you said we put up a painting. We decide on another painting. And then it's like, let's go shopping. So then we go down to the other couple studios, go through our storage, and start looking at work and going okay, that's going to work. But we would have never known at that time no. or previous, like you're saying, right. it was a hunt. It was, it was definitely a hunt. Yeah, we're shopping, shopping for goods. Yeah. Um, but that's the fun of it. You yeah. Know, that's it, what keeps it exciting and alive, and I think that will translate to the viewers. It mm -hmm. will be exciting for them to, to witness the discovery that you know took us X amount of days. They get to take it all in in a single moment of time yeah um and it's just an interesting process and it's very similar to how i paint mm. you okay. know I, I don't like to have preconceived ideas i'm not an abstract expressionist i'm not a um oh, you know where it's just about the brushstroke in that moment well the brushstroke is interesting but then how am i going to respond to that that's what interests me mm-hmm and so if we hang a painting, well, how are we going to respond to that? Mm -hmm. And you just start building a, a sentence and then mm -hmm. you, you create a narrative, a story mm -hmm. that maybe has no words per se, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just, and that allows the viewer in to have an experience. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that we, it wasn't all perfection. I mean, we put up a wall and, and we decided that isn't where we wanted to go. And we, we, we went backward and mm -hmm. we took some a few pieces down and put in other pieces and mm -hmm. then that informed the rest of the sentence per se. Yeah. And and we brought in other things. There's no way that we could have planned out what we were going to no. put on that wall. No. Those no. walls. No. And that's the to me that's the fun of it. So what informed what? The antiquity? Um, the the present moment, just looking at the line. I mean, something has to inform. In my mind, what informs what? You're asking me a question. Yeah, I'm asking a you a question. Because um, the first piece was yours. Mm -hmm. Which and is then, Geneva da Vinci, number 21. Right, and then the next piece was what Alex told us was one of the most important pieces in that, that he brought. It right. was a painting, it was a small painting of a portrait. A portrait. Right. And that red in that portrait mm -hmm. was like, let's use, let's go for that. Yeah, and my work is always informed by the, by the human figure. Okay. It, like the Geneva da Vinci series was about my visual conversation with the Leonardo da Vinci painting with that title. It's the first uh, portrait he did that he was commissioned to do at the age of 22 or 3 or whatever it was. And it's of this young bride-to-be. And it's a very odd painting because we've talked about this. It's like she has two halves to her face. Mm -hmm. We all do. But he painted them almost separately. And, and she's looking in two different directions, but it's very slight. Mm -hmm. And the lines of those paintings are about the lines in his painting, mm -hmm. about the curvatures of her face, mm -hmm. about the landscape behind her, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So it would make sense then to find two portraits to hang next to that painting because that painting is about portraiture, mm -hmm. even though it's an abstract painting, mm -hmm. right? So now, now we're beginning to, to explain my painting through these other two paintings mm -hmm. and also the colors mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. away we go 
There's another really mysterious thing that happened. Um, Alex brought this column, and it was sort of like um, had uh, grape leaves going yeah. around it. Yeah, it's, it's twisting up, and it's 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 it's, it's made a, out it's of wood. It's a giant log. It's it's literally a log. Okay. Piece of wood. And it's been carved. Somebody carved it probably 150, 200 years ago. Uh-huh. And it, it twists around, and then these grape leaves and grapes are twisting around with it. And, you know, and it's, a, I mean, I have a vineyard now, so um, there are no accidents. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the way it works. And maybe it's, there's energy happening that my thoughts and his thoughts were, the energy of our thoughts were communicating we didn't even know it I don't know but yeah so that piece you know and then it was like you weren't sure that you weren't sure of it it didn't it didn't make sense to me at all uh -uh. but I thought no 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 this needs to be here let's just let it breathe in the room and it will find its place Mm -hmm. right so then yesterday I have this marble sculpture um, and <clears throat> there's a painting and we have a wall just describe the room there's a wall a back wall that muslim fabric is now covering this wall hanging from the ceiling to the floor and it's very beautiful and elegant and natural earth tones these kind of very beautiful rossian tones and so that becomes a backdrop now we don't want to punch holes through this fabric to hang paintings, so we, I came up with this idea, well, let's put hooks in the ceiling, mm-hmm. and let's get some beautiful copper wire to suspend these paintings from the ceiling, mm-hmm. and they'll float in mm-hmm. front of this fabric, mm-hmm. right? So, now we're creating an illusion of sorts, a magical moment where these things are suspended, mm-hmm. these paintings, and the paintings, first it was gonna be one thing, last week and then we ditched that this week and this portrait came of this woman showing her breasts and it's very seductive and beautiful Mm -hmm. and the flesh tones in that painting brought to mind the flesh tones in a series of paintings that I did called when I consider how my life was spent Mm -hmm. and there was this instant conversation happening between my two paintings and this portrait painting. And then I've got this marble sculpture, and yesterday, towards the end of the day, mm-hmm. I put it on top of the grape thing, totem, and it has this beautiful top to it. It's almost, it's very sexual in a way. It's neither male nor female, but it's kind of both. Mm-hmm. And it, I put it in front of the painting because there's this ribbon-esque movement that loops up. So now it's as if the sculpture that's in front of it is pushing up that painting, is pushing up that movement in that painting, which then reverts back to the, the very breast of this woman. So these things start communicating in that way. Mm-hmm. And now, are people immediately gonna see that when they walk in? Maybe, maybe not, but I think subconsciously they will. Mm-hmm. They'll start to realize the connections between mm-hmm. these elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, um, I was very pleased with that moment when it all came together. It yeah. Was, you know, it took a day and a half. Yeah, yeah. But when it came together, it's like, ah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, it, it was unpredictable. It's yeah. still unpredictable when you, when you look at it. You're gonna say, "Hmm, how does that work?" And it works, and it, and it and it informs you. That was something in our statement that they would be informative relationships. That line and color or shape um, would perhaps echo each other mm-hmm. and create a new a new visual mm-hmm. language. Exactly. The, the The components then become a third element, and the third element really is is viewer also Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the fourth element Mm -hmm. Um, you know it's just it's for me it's exciting it's fun and I used to have this nonprofit downtown called Pharmaca and once a year we would do these fundraisers called small wonders and we would get 
500 artists to donate a little painting or drawing or whatever, and then we would sell 500 raffle tickets at 100 bucks a piece, and this is how we would raise money at the end of the year to keep the lights on. So over the course of three days or four days, all these artists would deliver their paintings. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, where do you begin? Mm -hmm. And I would start in the middle of the gallery, in the middle of a wall, mm -hmm. and I'd lay all the paintings out and I'd pick the strongest piece. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'd start. I see. And just expanding out from that. Mm -hmm. Populating. Yeah, populating. And, and again, so it was this very similar uh, idea that I had about how we were going to approach this. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. otherwise it's just overwhelming. You don't mm -hmm. know where to begin. Yes. <clears throat> so... This exhibition, um, there are two rooms, but I, I want to stay in, in, in the room with the white walls, and there's another room with the blue floor. and The blue room. The blue, we call it the blue room. But staying in, in the white room for the moment, um, there, what's kind of extraordinary kind of hit me yesterday was all this art through the ages, and in particular your work, because you can talk about it today, is a whole repertoire of 40 years. And we selected things for different reasons, like, it's, like we were talking about to fulfill the sentence that we were making. But it dawned on me, because it looks like there's probably 20 different contemporary artists in the show, mm -hmm. but it's all you. It's all me. It's and it's works that I wanted people to see that didn't know. You know, I, I want them to go, oh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah, that was fun. You know, I think the earliest piece in there is a, a drawing from a sketchbook from 1982. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> there's a figure from Michelangelo's Sistine Ceiling. Mm -hmm. Actually, a couple of figures. And, you know, at that time, I was, I, I felt the best way to learn was to look and interpret. Mm -hmm. And so you think about Michelangelo's drawings of these human forms and how beautiful they are. Bless you. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And well, what does that feel like? What to, in your hand, to have a pen in your hand, mm -hmm. what does it feel like to follow those same lines, to translate what he was doing? Mm -hmm. That's how I learned how to make art, mm. right? So in that piece, though, is also a drawing of a piano, because I had recently bought this Steinway piano at that time, mm -hmm. that I still have. And, um, and there's other elements that were just fragments of my mind, and they all kind of mesh together, and then a little self-portrait mm -hmm. that's also in that drawing. But the drawing, it looks like, and, and Adam, Adam Burris came in yesterday to look at the at what we were doing, and he thought the drawing was from the 1700s or something. Yeah, he didn't even he know. He didn't even know it was mine, you know, because it is it is steeped in art history. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the earliest piece. Yeah, I think that's the earliest piece. Yeah, and then yeah. it just goes through a whole repertoire of the early ribbons that I was doing, and as I was thinking about at that time what our thoughts look like before we attach language, mm -hmm. what is that spark of a moment, mm -hmm. and then how do we connect that to the physical world, the world mm -hmm. that we live in, mm -hmm. and that's where those ribbons came out of. There's a little painting in there of a red ribbon, a yeah. little ribbon on a red background, uh -huh. I think from 1990. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> and then there's um, there's pattern paintings. The pattern paintings. There's, there's another early painting of these, um, you call it dancers. The there's dancers, 1983, yeah. And those were, you can see everything that I was going to become are in those two little paintings that are acrylic on canvas paper that I did. And um, I was going to a you know, junior college and I was going and watching this dance class and I was doing quick sketches of the people dancing and thinking about their movements and, and the air around them and, and what, what's happening in the invisible spaces around them as their hands are going through the air or their legs are going through the air. So I started drawing that as well, just like I'm doing. 
doodling on the cover of this book magazine right now. Um, and yeah, all that stuff is there. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. Mm -hmm. Another um, more, another series of work that I wanted to incorporate was the crossings mm -hmm. because again, I wanted to bring in something um, relative to a totally different way of working and your sort of experience of driving from here to your downtown studio, um, getting out, going up the stairs and, and vocalizing your, your thoughts. And, yeah. and I'd like you to explain that whole process because that's a very different way of working. So I had a studio downtown on um, Alameda off of 5th Street, I think it was. Um, and it was at the time a very, very rough area. And just the commute downtown, even though it's like five miles or something, it would take 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, and you almost inevitably daily, there's like three or four near death experiences because people drive crazy. And so you get there, I would get there, I'd be a little rattled, mm -hmm. frustrated. Um, and then I would pull up and I'd have these drug dealers and prostitutes all surround my car. And I'd have to tell them, please go away. Um, leave me alone, I'm not interested. I would then go into the building, walk upstairs, walk into the space. It was 1,500 square feet, an open space. And I would start walking, doing, walking almost like laps around the space and speaking out loud everything that was on my mind. Mm -hmm. Every thought that I had, I would say it out loud. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would take me 20 or 30 minutes until I had nothing else to say. Mm -hmm. And then I would take a piece of paper, lay it on the floor, and get some get watercolor, and I'd have these eyedroppers, and I'd fill up an eyedropper, and I'd make a mark from one corner to the other. Mm -hmm. And then I would try to replicate that mark. So mm -hmm. the first mark was just this random moment. Mm -hmm. and then I tried to replicate that mark and have the same arch to it, have the same feeling to it, which is almost impossible to do. So each, each moment is a different moment, and I can't replicate moment I mm -hmm. can I can engage with that moment but and then once all that was done and then I would go in the opposite direction and mm -hmm. do the same process mm -hmm. so these these lines begin to cross mm -hmm. right and then I would have a spray bottle with water and I would start spraying and squirting the water around and making it run and there were certain parts of the floor that were tilted in different directions and I had memorized all this on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I knew if it was facing that direction, the water would run in a different direction than if the drawing was at a different part of the studio. Mm -hmm. So I would kind of scoot the drawings around, or the watercolors around, so that they would, the water would flow in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. So now I have a moment of chance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, right? And it was that cross-section of, of de a deliberate action and a moment of chance that then creates this third Mm -hmm. And that's what interested me. And then once those were done, I'd do two or three in the morning. Then I would start painting mm -hmm. oil paints. And at that time, I was doing the uh, the pattern. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so what? Before we get into talking about the, the the blue room, what is it about this this sort of concepts that really in influence you or inspire you or encourage you to utilize i mean and you've used the the I Ching and we're mm -hmm. i've got the I Ching in there and we're going to start using that a little bit what is it about these sort of philosophies that you're engaged in um i think that i think growing up where i did because it was so quiet and this vast landscape around me of farmland mm -hmm. it gave me the freedom to imagine mm. okay. to daydream and I would like go look at trees and I would wonder why a branch is growing that direction and what the tree was thinking 
and, and in that direction, in that direction, all these, these branches are stemming off in different directions. Well, they're all trying to, trying to get energy from the sun, right? And mm -hmm. so it's a means of survival. But, so then I thought, well, these, these trees and these plants, they have their own thought process. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's not like ours, our thought process. You know, we, I go, always go back to Descartes where I think therefore I am. Mm -hmm. It's the act of knowing of your own existence which is what consciousness is about. Mm -hmm. And maybe plants and, and trees have that. I don't know. We don't know. But um, So those ideas, and that got me into reading about, I think I started with the Egyptians. And wondering how and why did they build these great monuments and what was the, their ideas of the afterlife and where did this come from? Mm -hmm. It doesn't pop up overnight. Mm -hmm. These take takes, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years to develop. Mm -hmm. So where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And that led me into the Sumerians, which then all that led me into the Mayans and that led me into the Vedic texts of, mm -hmm. of India. And, you know, pretty quick I'm sort of zigzagging around the globe and there was a bookstore on Melrose called the Bodai Tree. Mm -hmm. And I would go there all the time and buy books about ancient civilizations. This is before there was the internet. Mm -hmm. And like the Tao of physics and mm -hmm. you know, comparing physics, contemporary ideas and philosophies of physics with ancient Taoism mm -hmm. and how similar they were. Mm -hmm. So why did these people know that? And then I thought, is this, is this something that it, we intuitively know and we have, because our intellect has taken over, we no longer can access that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, animals like my dog at, at the ranch, Frida, she intuitively knows where the water is. She intuitively, does she smell it or does she? It's instinctual, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but. We have traded, I think, as humans, we've traded, there's been a trade-off between our intellect and our instincts. Mm -hmm. And I think that the stronger our intellect becomes, the less our instincts are. Mm, okay. So for me, art, the art-making process was about trying to also readdress the instinctual parts of me. How do I get back in touch with that? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's really inspiring. So that's where all that sort of came from, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, the, you know, and then especially reading the Tao of Physics, I remember sitting around the pool at Cal Arts, everybody running around naked, basically, and I'm reading the Tao of Physics, laying out there, and, and you know, people were partying and having a good time, and I was more interested in, this, how, how can an ancient civilization be so close to the, what we now know, you know, and the whole idea of the Big Bang Theory, well, they had the same theory. Mm -hmm. And they had the same time frame mm -hmm. of X amount of billions of years. They were off by a couple of hundred million years or so, or a million years, not that much. Mm -hmm. We think about the giant concept of all this. And why would they know this? How did they know this? Why did we forget? Mm -hmm. Why are we just now rediscovering all these things? Mm -hmm. You know, so was there a time when our intellect or maybe our, our intuition was more prominent mm -hmm. and the intellect began to override that? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's certainly a theory that that's the case. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's what got, got me on my, put me on my gut put me on my journey of exploration through the art making process, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so a place like Cal Arts, which is very conceptual, I thought, well, how can I combine conceptual, this idea of conceptualism with my intuition? Mm -hmm. So conceptually, I came up with this idea of crossings, you know, creating a cross section, creating a moment of chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, let's let's venture into the blue room now. <laughs> the yeah, blue no, room. We're yeah. walking across the court. Okay, there. so we're we're venturing into the blue room now, and the blue room is what we're gonna do today. And okay. um, 
Yeah, we're going to do it today. We're going to hang it today is what she's saying. Yeah, we're going to hang it today. But the Blue Room um, also, it's a, it's a different species. It's not like yeah. the other room. It's it's and why don't you why don't you share what what you what you want what your thoughts are about that space? Well, the white room, you know, the paintings are hung salon style, and there's antique books, leather bound books being delivered today that are going to line the walls, just kind of haphazardly line the walls. So the idea was here you have all this knowledge in these books, and from this knowledge we have this artwork climbing up the walls, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, visually, I think, a very interesting idea. The other room, now we've had these antiquities, and it was Alex who, Ramyan, who thought about the idea of, because of how he sees my work, mm -hmm. um, that what if we, he brings over an altar, mm -hmm. and above the altar is one of my paintings. So instead of having a religious iconographic image <clears throat> of the Virgin Mary and whomever else, now we're going to substitute that with one of my paintings. And what's that going to do to that altar, that antique altar? What's the antique altar going to do to my painting? Mm -hmm. We don't know. We'll find out. And that's interesting to me. How it's going to inform each other. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then they brought over an altar, but it's too big for this one painting that we're going to put in the room. And it's a painting called Superiority, which we recently unveiled a, um, a print for. And the print is activated with augmented reality, AR. Mm -hmm. And so this print, this painting has these big, fluid, ribbon-esque movements going through it. And... In the AR, these ribbons come to life, mm -hmm. and they begin to lift off of the canvas and move throughout the room. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, wouldn't that be amazing to have all these beautiful antiquities? Mm -hmm. And we have, so we have the past with these antiquities, and now we have the present with this painting. Mm -hmm. But embedded in this painting is the future mm -hmm. with augmented reality. Mm -hmm. So here's the title of the exhibition mm -hmm. right there all in one singular moment, mm -hmm. right? And that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, so they're bringing another altar today that's a little smaller because mm -hmm. this painting is seven feet tall and five feet wide. And um, so now we're gonna move the first altar to another wall. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of yesterday, I placed a 42 inch by 42 inch painting above it, mm -hmm. and suddenly that just popped. It worked, you know, because we were like, well, where are these paintings going to go? Well, we don't know yet. We don't know until the antiques arrive, until it, the rest of it arrives, and we move everything around in there, and then it will inform us what it needs. Mm -hmm. We do have some attendance, some, we have some altar pieces candlesticks mm -hmm. and and antiquities uh and attendants and we have a a an antique sort of cabinet or i'm, well, I'm not even i'm not even so, sure well, what yeah, to call that and it's this hand carved geometric shape on the door of it mm -hmm. and it's and it's it's all about balance mm -hmm. right and which was a, a big part of the Age of Enlightenment and this world of science and that maybe our world is not complete chaos. Maybe there's order to it. Mm -hmm. You know, so this began to be reflected in the gardens and the architecture and mm -hmm. the um, um, in the objects that they were living with. So here's order to calm our minds. And I, I think that's really the purpose of it. It's all about calming the mind. Mm -hmm. So you have, it creates a sense of stillness within you mm -hmm. by looking at these geometric shapes that are carved on to, into these objects. And so I'm, I thought to juxtapose that with a painting from 20 years ago 
that is almost like some sort of subconscious writing that I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's in this very dark Rembrandt-esque background, mm -hmm. and I have these little lines that are zipping back and forth, painted with yellow ochre. So it's almost if it, it's light that is we're catching an image of light, and we're seeing its movements mm -hmm. caught mm -hmm. in time, mm -hmm. almost like in, in a piece of amber or something, right? So I thought that would be interesting to juxtapose these two moments together. Yeah, I agree. We're also having delivered two Baroque chairs. Two Baroque chairs, which I haven't seen yet. No, we, we don't know what those are going to mm -hmm. look like or the design or anything. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what we're going to put in the chair, if mm -hmm. anything, um, as a statement. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about that. And so, again, I've, I've got to behave and not get ahead of myself. You just gotta stay in the moment. Stay in the moment yeah. and, um, and let these things unfold. Well, it almost becomes an exercise in, it's almost like a meditative exercise about letting go of mm -hmm. any expectations. Mm -hmm. And you're forced to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When, you're, when you're there, then it's like happiness can can exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because if you're constantly thinking about what if, what if, what if, you now you're not in the moment. Yeah. And like there's a car going by right now with the stereo thumping, big bass sounds. Um, sadly, I'm not a big fan of that. I think it's very disruptive. But anyway, I digress. Um, I. <laughs> I just, it's all creative, and there, well, and let me just say also that they brought over this religious painting of crucifixion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's um, talk about that. Yeah, and it's like. It's supposed know. to be the 13th stage. I didn't know there were 13 stages. Of the cross, yes. Yeah. Yes, and, and so I did a painting, um, 1989, and it was one of the earliest ribbon paintings, and I had been, also been looking at Greek sculpture and architecture at the time, architecture, not sculpture, and these sort of uh, labyrinth shapes that they would include into the architecture. Mm -hmm. And again, it's about balancing the mind with order, mm. right? And so I decided to use that as a starting place to make this painting um, that winds around itself. And it's this red ribbon floating in this black void and I was thinking about the black void being the subconscious or even the unconscious and the ribbon movement being the subconscious and we become the consciousness as a viewer these were thoughts I was having at the age of 27 mm -hmm. as I'm making this, these paintings and you know and when I first showed these paintings it was at a gallery called Wade Gallery Washington Boulevard, and nobody got them. Nobody understood them. I didn't sell any of them. It was quite deflating for me. Mm -hmm. um, but that's okay. And I look at these paintings now, and I think, wow, these are actually good paintings. Oh, they're they're just brilliant. They're they're very uh, they're very intense. Um, they're they're unique and. The combination of the religious painting, the crucifixion, mm. um, and this painting, there's something in the mind that happens when you mm -hmm. see them. It's it's quite fascinating. So they will be hung next to each other. Mm -hmm. And there's red in the, in the religious painting. And also there's all these different figures that are going in different directions, which is, it's not... It's very chaotic, you know, it's a very chaotic moment. Jesus is being strapped onto the cross and is about ready to be, the cross is going to be stood up and he's going to be crucified. And so there's, there's this dynamicism that's happening in this painting with all the figures that are doing things and juxtaposed to my painting, which is order. Mm -hmm. So it's the opposite of the armoire and, and my painting, which mm -hmm. is the armoire's order. 
now we're flipping it. Mm -hmm. So the religious painting is chaos. Yeah. And my painting is order. Right, right. So we're creating a yin and yang right. of sorts. I also want to touch on, so that, you know, that will, that room is yet to be determined and, and created. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to touch on another element to the opening night, and that's um, mm, yes. me inviting Anthony Cardella, the mm -hmm. pianist, mm -hmm. to um, to be part of the experience yes. and the atmosphere. When Alex, when when we were talking about all this, Alex was saying I was talking about music, of course, because it's important to me or sound, and he was saying, "Oh, we just." We just need somebody, you know, to just play a few notes on the piano as atmosphere, and that was kind of my cue as to, okay, this is this is a moment for me to kind of explore this. I don't mm -hmm. just want that, mm -hmm. um, since we're dealing with all these different time periods. Um, let's let's explore minimalism and music, um, the avant-garde, and. Let's let's really explore those spaces and how that's yeah. informed and how mm -hmm. that with space and time will also bring in another layer to the viewer when they mm -hmm. when they walk inside the room. What what do you have to say about all well, that? Well, and I, I love the fact that you just took the reins on this one and started sort of curating the musical pieces that you were interested in having him play. And Tony, you know, is a very gifted pianist, gifted, he's beyond talented, he's gifted, and he, he practices his gift daily for hours on end, and so he has the capacity to sit down and do a John Cage piece, he has the capacity to do a late Debussy piece, mm -hmm. and to do it with a sense of artistry, mm -hmm. I think that will add, I mean, again, we look, we, when you hear sound, sound is energy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When we see color, color is energy. Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's the light waves of energy is mm -hmm. what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. It's the sound waves of energy is what we're hearing. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is creating mm -hmm. an experience for the viewers here mm -hmm. next Friday. And I, I'm really excited about it because that's never been done here in this way. And we, you know, this building, it was built in the 1920s mm -hmm. as a shopping mall. Um, it's at this Mediterranean style. It's got this long courtyard that is 150 feet long from mm -hmm. my front door to the Western Avenue. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's 153 feet. Okay. Yes, I know. Um, and to create this soundscape mm -hmm. to go with the visual landscape, not only the landscape of the artwork, but the landscape and the antiques, but mm -hmm. the landscape of the building. Yeah. And the vegetation that are here, because we have these two beautiful rubber trees in the middle of the courtyard. Uh -huh. uh, thankfully, that create this great umbrella of shade um, and the way that the light flickers through. Mm -hmm. You know, certain times of the day, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, and there's I, there's yeah. a sensibility. Yeah, and I think that, and I love the, the musical choices that you've made and then what he has also made. Yeah, he's introduced um, Timos Andres, um, How to Live in Your World of Ideas. Yeah, How to Live in Your World of Ideas, you know, as, I mean, what a great title. And that's a musical piece, and he's from the Bay Area, is it? This composer? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And he's like in his thirties now. And yes. He's, he's yeah. the next Philip Glass. He's the he's you know of, of the, for the next of this generation, right? Right. So I'm really thrilled to to bring that and not just have composers that we were familiar with, um, being John Cage or John Adams. Um, John Adams also from the Bay Area, one of my favorite contemporary composers. But, but just sort of young blood, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the future. Mm -hmm. But music is, is ancient, and that's the past. Mm -hmm. And so this is really, truly a conversation through time. Yeah. All the way around. Right, 
And and also the vibration. I, I'm a big believer in vibration of how space can be transformed with with the presence of um, objects mm-hmm. and people and which can never be duplicated. No, it cannot. So I was saying to you, this is going to be a happening. And you yeah. kind of laughed. Yeah, well, it's, it's a happening in essence. I mean, I, I think about Robert Rauschenberg and John Cage and Merce Cunningham um, in their early days. And Merce Cunningham was a choreographer. John Cage was a composer mm-hmm. of sound, mm-hmm. not necessarily music, but sound. Mm-hmm. And Rauschenberg was being influenced by everything under the sun. And so everything was up for grabs. Mm-hmm. You know, and as in the 1950s, as they were mid-century, and the war was over, and the United States had survived, and the economy was booming, and there was a baby boom, and the Industrial Revolution was creating the American dream. Mm-hmm. What does that new landscape look like? What does it feel like? How mm-hmm. do we translate it? How do we become part of it? Mm-hmm. Is it a fit? Mm-hmm. for the human psyche yeah you know and these are questions that I think they were exploring in their happenings mm-hmm. I think and so in a, in a way yes we're doing something similar but in a new way mm-hmm. yeah um, that's more based on our interests I don't think I think with like Rauschenberg and Merce Cunningham and John Cage they weren't so interested in the past they were more interested in the future, and they wanted to break away from the past. They weren't interested in the museum context of things, you know, and the institutional out inst- to institutionalize ideas in that way. Mm-hmm. They wanted to break free of all that, and mm-hmm. that was of that moment. Mm-hmm. And now, so they broke free of it, but it what. And this is what I was always, was always grappling with, is because there's a foundation that history provides. Mm-hmm. And if you move off of that foundation, then you're building something that is a little wobbly. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not have the, the sound structure that's required for longevity. Mm-hmm. It may be a passing moment. Mm-hmm. And me having history to delve back into mm-hmm. and they're like threads that I can pull forward and add another word to mm-hmm. you know and I always I used to say that if an artist is lucky really lucky maybe they get to add one word to their generation mm. to their time Mm. Most artists don't even get to add a letter to a word, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To make up this this di- 